We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 this moment. Steadfast love of the Lord is not fair. You ever felt like God was not being fair? Like He just wasn't doing what He was so what He's supposed to be doing. At least in our minds, our concept of God and what He should be doing, the way that He should be coming through for us, sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. I remember a time in my life where I was in a situation where I was working and thought I was doing a good job and I got fired. And uh, I didn't even really know why. It wasn't because I'd done anything wrong. It wasn't because I had uh, not performed my responsibilities. But I got fired. And I remember telling God, this is not fair. Matter of fact, it was from a church, by the way. And uh, that always makes it worse. And uh, I just remember thinking, this is just not right. It's not fair. It's not going my way. I'm young. I'm, I'm just a kid. I was doing everything I was asked to do. And they have let me go. You ever been there? Ever been in another situation where things didn't go like, I mean, you were like praying, you were like trying to read your Bible, trying to do the things you're supposed to do, trying to be a good person all around, and something happens. Or maybe something doesn't happen. Maybe it's something that you wanted, you prayed for, and God just has not come through. You ever had those times in your life? We're going to look at a guy named Jonah, we're in our fourth chapter today, who definitely... God is not coming through for him. He is not doing what he wanted God to do. Here's part of the problem now, to be honest with you. A lot of times we have things in our mind, and if we're not careful, we start to worship a God in our mind is, that is of our own making. You know, God's supposed to give me this and bless me in this manner. And when other people are mean to me, He's supposed to take care of them. And he's supposed to do stuff to them. And when the really bad people do stuff, He needs to zap them. Well, let me just ask you this. I mean, how many of you, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I mean, you had been pretty excited if God had came there. I mean, where would you have been? You know, if God came back and wiped out all the people who were doing bad things or not walking with Him or not loving Him, like I mean, where would you be? I mean, we're all real good as long as we are the measurement of goodness, as long as it works for us right now in our time period. And that's where Jonah kind of finds himself. You know, in chapter 1, as we looked at the book of Jonah, we saw that Jonah was running away from God. And many of you can probably resonate with the time that you ran from God. Number two, in chapter two, he was running back to God because he found himself in a situation where he had nowhere to look but up. He found himself in a desperate situation. In chapter three, you find Jonah running with God. God has given him a second chance. God has recommissioned him to go back to Nineveh as he was instructed and to preach that if Nineveh does not repent, destruction will come. And now we find chapter four. And I know that this is not semantically correct. This is not a good title or point for what Jonah was doing grammatically, but this is the way I see it. Jonah's trying to run God. I mean, he's trying to manipulate God. He's trying to get God to do what he thinks God ought to do. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to a time in your life where maybe you tried to get God to do what you want to do, or maybe you just got mad and pouted? When he didn't come through like you thought he should? Well, it's interesting because we'll see that 
Jonah gets mad because of God being who he is. As a matter of fact, Jonah will list out some pretty good theology. He'll say, God, you're merciful, you're compassionate, and you're slow to anger, and you're relenting, and you're forgiving, and that makes me mad at the bottom line because that's great when you do it to me, but now you're doing it to my enemy. And I don't like that. I want to go ahead and just give you the points today. Just right up front. Give you the six points. You can write them down. You can sleep through them. Or you can do whatever you want. I want to go ahead and give them to you right now. And we're going to read through the text here in just a moment. But here are my six points. The steadfast love of God is not fair. And here are the six points. And as I state these, these are for you, but they're also for others. Because a lot of what we deal with sometimes is what God does for others and He doesn't do for us or what He doesn't do to others. And that's exactly where Jonah is coming from this morning. Number one, this, and we see it in verse one, the steadfast love of God continues even when I'm angry with Him. Even when He's not doing what I think He ought to do and it makes me mad. Point number two, the steadfast love of God in verse two continues even when I disagree with God. When I think He's wrong and I think He's not performing or acting in the manner of which I think is correct. Point number three, the love of God continues when I'm selfish. Number four, the love of God continues even when I pout and close myself off to Him. And I think somehow I will dysfunctionally manipulate God by acting like that, like He's my three-year-old son. You know, sometimes my son gets angry, and he's angry at us, so he's not going to talk to us, and he's going to sit there and do this, and he's going to not do what we want him to do. And if he does this long enough, then maybe we'll let him watch television, or we'll let him eat another cookie. And unfortunately, sometimes it works. But thank God he's not as dysfunctional as I am. Hey, they go, I've had enough. Okay. All right. Go shoot heroin. I've had enough. God doesn't ever say that, all right? Thank goodness. I know some of you are just gasping at this moment. It's okay. You'll be all right. The steadfast love of the Lord continues even when my entitlement consumes me. When I think, I deserve God, I deserve this. Or they deserve this. And God's not manipulated nor influenced by our spirit of entitlement. And number six, the love of God continues even when I believe that God should not love others as He loves me. That they shouldn't be afforded the grace and the mercy that I have been given. You go, I think that's all good. I agree with that. What if it was someone who was a terrorist or a murderer? What if God affords mercy and grace like He did to the Ninevites, to someone that we deem as an enemy, someone who has hurt us? As I remember the story of those who... uh, Many of you have seen the movie, The End of the Sphere. And many of you know of the story of how uh, they were killed. The men in that movie were killed. It's a true story. As they went into South America and the natives there killed them. And yet their family went back to minister to them later on. Matter of fact, uh, one was Nick St. James. His father was killed and now he travels with the man who killed his father. Talking about the grace and the mercy of God. What about when it's a situation like that? where in our minds it's just ridiculous. Do we really want the mercy and the grace of God to be extended in those instances? 
truth of it is, is most of us don't. Most of us really want to win at the end of the day. We're kind of like Attila the Hun. Remember Attila the Hun made this quote, and I never forgot it. I was, remember studying this in college. He said, Attila the Hun said, It's not enough that I might win, but everyone else must lose. I mean, we certainly believe that in sports and in business a lot of times. And if we're not careful, we'll just kind of carry that on into our spiritual and emotional life. Let's see if we can learn about Jonah. And before we judge him too critically, I think it's important that we recognize that we probably have more in common with him than most of us would like to admit. Verse 1 of chapter 4, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Can I tell you this? God's not always going to be upset with you, and it's not necessarily a sin to be displeased with the way things are going in your life or the way things have turned out. But we see that Jonah takes it from displeasure to anger. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word means it, it to burn. In other words, it's smoldering, and it's continuing to grow. It's being fed. And he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, this is not what I said. Is, is this not exactly what I tried to tell you before? God, here's what Jonah's saying. This is exactly what I said was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this. Makes me so mad. Oh, Lord, is it not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew. And here's where Jonah lists out the theology and the attributes of God, exactly who he is, and exactly why he's angry. I'm mad at you because you're being you. And it just aggravates the mess out of me because I'm not that good. I'm not that gracious God, and this just makes me mad. And it'd be great when you do this to me, but when you do this to the Ninevites, you're gracious, you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in love. That word uh, chested right there, which is a covenant love that God has for us, who relents from sending calamity. God, you're, why did you have to do this? Do you understand that the Ninevites, do you understand what they did to my forefathers? Do you understand what they've done to other nations? Do you understand the cruelty that they've demonstrated? God, I think that they have really exhausted their opportunity for forgiveness. I don't think they deserve mercy. And then take it another step. Actually, we, we know from the book of Amos and Hosea, who were actually contemporary prophets of Jonah, and Jonah had most certainly probably heard these words. And we find in Amos chapter 5, verse 27, and in uh, Hosea 9, 3 and 11, 5, that God tells the nation of Israel that I am going to use the Assyrians as an instrument of correction if you don't repent. So Hosea, has already, he's already prophesied this. If there's not repentance, this is what's going to happen. If the nation of Israel does not come back to God, they're in a time of affluence, a time when the economy is good, and they're finding themselves drifting away to idols, drifting away into a lifestyle, and as a nation away from God, and then Amos comes along in chapter 5 and says the same thing. So now, not only nationalistically does Jonah have an argument, he's thinking, if I God, if you would get rid of them, then... They couldn't correct us. They wouldn't be able to bring judgment upon our nation. Like God couldn't do it another way. So Jonah, in a sense, realizes that if they repent, they're still going to be around. This is my opportunity to get rid of them. And so now, O oh Lord, take my life away, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
I am going to be a prophet who has to go back. Number one, nationalistically, this is not going to be a good move for my career. I mean, people are not going to be excited that now Nineveh doesn't exist because, like, I was leaving. I'm saying I'm going to go preach some judgment on those guys. And now they're going to be restored. That's not good. I'm going to be discredited because in Deuteronomy he said if a prophet gives a word and if it doesn't come true, then he's not a true prophet of God. So I'm discredited as a prophet. God, you've just messed me up. I am in bad shape right here, and I'd just like to die, thank you. I'm done. I, I mean, I, I came back. Granted, I had a little help from uh, in, on the, along the way, and you kind of put me in a spot where I had to come. And I preached, and I gave the Word, but now, because we see in the end of chapter 3, you're going to grant forgiveness and mercy to them because they've asked forgiveness as you promised you would do in Jeremiah 18, if a people who have been judged by me determine that they will come and kneel before me, if they will repent of their evil ways, then I will exercise mercy and grace. The Bible tells us that in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 and 8. So God's fulfilling His mercy here. And God, you've just I just don't like this. I don't like them. I don't like where you've put me. I don't like the situation. I'm done. Kind of the selfishness of Jonah kind of sets in, and it's almost more like it's about him than about God. And the Lord replied, Have you really any right to be angry? Have you not been blessed? Have you not been granted salvation? Have I not taken care of you? Do you really have the right to be angry? God asked him this a couple of times, by the way. So Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made for himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, why did he do that? Well, probably because he thought, maybe I can manipulate God through my anger, through my prayers, to do what he's supposed to do. Or probably he thought, you know what, I'm going to watch them. You know, and it's just like people like that. You know, they say they got religion. <laughs> they say they got God. I'm going to watch them. And when they mess up, I'm going to make sure God knows about it, and then he'll have to do what he said he's going to do. He'll have to put the hurt on those guys, and I'm going to watch because I don't believe in them. I'm just going to sit here and watch what they do. And so then the Lord provided for him a vine that made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. It's interesting what God does here. He enables a vine to grow up. Jonah's out in the desert sand, out in the heat. He's probably made a little makeshift uh, place where he can get away from the sun, and then God enables a vine to grow up. And God gives him a blessing during this time to kind of show him a picture of what he's doing and to show him how you know what, a lot of the provisions I've given to you, you've not earned or deserved. And so that's exactly what God is doing here. Then God provides the vine, it grows up over Jonah, and it gives him shade, and it eases his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, there was a worm, and it chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching heat and wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, and so he grew faint. And he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than live. What happened here? Well, God provides shade for Jonah. He provides some protection. And Jonah is excited. God's blessing me. This is good. This is what you're supposed to do, God. 
You're supposed to help me. You're supposed to give me good things. You're supposed to provide for me. And so now God's done that. I'm a little bit happier while I wait for these guys to be burnt. And I'm more excited about this as I watch this. And then the next day it's gone. And Jonah's back. back. He goes, "What, God, can you not just help me a little bit? I mean, you threw me a bone. You took away the bone. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Here's that word again. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I mean, did you grow it? Did you put it together? And it's interesting what Jonah says. I do have a right to be mad. That's right. I am mad, God. And I don't care who knows it. And I'm, I'm so angry I want to die, by the way. Have I mentioned that to you before? I'd like to die. I'd like to get out of here. I'm sick of all this. I, I do have a right to be mad. It's called entitlement. I deserve it. I mean, they're bad. Bad people over there. I'm preacher. <laughs> you bless me, you curse them. That's the way it works, God. Get on the stick. Or at least that's the way you work in my mind. That's the way you should work. And yeah, I realize you're compassionate and merciful. As a matter of fact, I didn't even want to come because I thought you might show them mercy. You might show them grace. You might use me as an instrument to actually bring them back. And that's not what I want. God, I want you to do things my way. This is right. This is fair. This is the way it works. I do good things. You do good things for me. They do bad things. You do bad things to them. And that's the way the way. What's what makes the world go around? God, that's the way I want it to be. And I will dysfunctionally try to manipulate you until you see that. But Lord said, and we're laughing at Jonah. By the way, I hope you are catching the parallels for your life, for my life, for certain. That we're probably not that much more mature if we're in that situation. Jesus or God said. You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it. You didn't make it or grow it. It sprang out overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle, and your translation may say animals as well. Should I not be concerned for them or for that great city? Good question. Here are 120,000 people, and some scholars think they're definitely talking about children. Some scholars think that it might even be possibly that they just don't understand what's going on and they haven't had the opportunity. But nevertheless, here's 120,000 people that don't know any better. Here's potentially 120,000 children. And Jones basically says, I don't care. (laughs) They're the bad guys. They're they're children of the enemies. Blow them off the map. Maybe you can relate to that. As we've talked about before, maybe that's the way you feel about Iraq or Iran. Well, I know there are children over there. I know there are maybe even believers over there, but let's just blow them up. Let's just blow that piece of the country off the map. Are you that different than Jonah? Are we really that different? We get mad when we see the hurt, we see the pain, like it's less, if it's not us. It's interesting. As we look at this, I think there's some things that we can learn. I think there's some lessons that we can glean as we look at the mercies of God, how do we get to that place to where we so have a spirit of entitlement and anger? We've fed it for so long. We've said, fed the biases and we've fed the things that really aren't scriptural, but they're the way that we believe life should be that we've replaced them with God Himself. It starts when we get lazy. We just choose to not really study to really listen to the Word of God, and we just kind of cast it off when we hear it. 
find ourselves not praying, not worshiping. And then we find ourselves in a spirit of pride. I really don't need that. And at the end of the day, it's about me anyway. What about me? It's entitlement. I deserve it. God, I've done this, this, and this. I've helped before. I've served before. I've given before. I've done before. It's my time for blessing. And you know what? It makes me mad that you bless those people. They don't do anything. They're hypocrites. They're, they're agnostics. God, why don't you do something to those people? It makes me mad. We find ourselves in a spirit of disillusionment. I know you've all read the story of minister of the church actually that I worked at at one point that found himself making a horrible decision. Sin is what we would call it. How did he get there? I bet you, and I don't know him, but I bet you it started. He kind of got lazy with his spiritual life. He let his pride consume him. He had probably done enough. He could get away. He deserved. He was entitled. And maybe things weren't happening just like he thought. Maybe God hadn't been coming through. This is You find yourself where it's easy to start hearing that voice that we can look at and go, what are you thinking? But we are all subject to find ourselves consumed in the bondage of sin that makes us stupid. I don't know a better way to say it. When we find ourselves consumed with sin, we find ourselves entitled, pridefully disillusioned thinking we deserve, thinking we're better. You see, there's two extremes that most people have when it comes to God anyway. There's the extreme that God is all love and all mercy and He should never do anything else. He's just a big grandfather. He's a big Santa Claus. That's all God is. Or there's the other side. God is a God of wrath and judgment and He puts the hurt on people when they don't act right. He's going to get them at the end of the day. And we always seem to lean to one of those sides. It's kind of human nature instead of the truth of who God is. That He is a God who is righteous and gracious and compassionate. Who will correct, who will reprove, but He longs to forgive. I want to give us some application points that I believe, six applications that I think we need to apply from Jonah chapter 4. Number one, do not try to keep God in your box. Put God in your little box. God, this is the way you work. This is the way it's always been. And God, when you work outside of that box, you're wrong. Or, or something's gone astray. Number two, God does not respond to your dysfunctional behavior and manipulation. I don't know a better way to say it. When we pout, we whine, we scream, we complain, God, do this for me. Why do you do this for someone else? Why don't you do this to them? God's always going to be righteous. And he's always going to do what He feels is right, what He feels is best. And our manipulation and dysfunction will not influence Him. You can't control the mercy and the love of God, nor should you try. Do not allow spiritual competition to get in your heart. When we start to think, I want what they have. And they got this, they got this home, they got this car, and I deserve it. That spirit of entitlement starts to resonate in us. And I deserve it. And it's kind of a competition. Look what I've done, God. Why don't you give me this? Why am I struggling? God, I think that I should financially have what they have. I think I should have this or that. And you should provide for me in this way. 
God, it's not fair. You ever said that? I mean, do we really want fairness? That's the real truth. We, we don't want it to be fair. We really, uh, trust me, we don't want fair, fairness across the board in Christendom. Not on a world perspective. We really don't. I'm going to, I'm going to Africa, to Tanzania here in about a month, a little less than a month. And I guarantee you, I've been because I've been to Africa before, I guarantee you that I don't want everything to be fair. Because I'm going to get over there and there are going to be people that are much more godly than I am living in, in huts compared to what I live in, hauling clean water in just so they can drink and exist. Do we really want it to be fair? I mean, do you really want to lose 90% of your income? Do you really want to live in a house about a fifth of the size that you're in? Do you really want to give up your automobile? I mean, do you really want it to be fair? No, we want it to be fair in Flower Mountain. <laughs> Let's do it right here. But don't take, the, don't take the whole world. I'm talking about just right here, guys. <laughs> That's where I live. In my block, I want it to be fair. But everywhere else, ah, we forget the fairness issue. Like somehow they're not people and they don't love God and they're not really Christian. Or they don't really worship. Somehow I just want it to be fair for me. Be careful of the spirit of entitlement. This last one, ask God to remove the prejudices in your heart that are blinding you to the needs before you. Jonah couldn't see the need. He didn't see that there were children here. He didn't see that there were people here who hadn't done anything to harm or hurt him. You say, well, I don't really have those prejudices. That's good. I, I don't feel that way toward people. Now, I'm going to say something, and some of you will get mad just because I said it, so uh, I want you to at least listen carefully, so if you're going to be, go out here and, and misquote me, quote me correctly in your anger, okay? So let's just listen real carefully to what I'm going to say, and then you're free to be mad. Uh, I'll just say, God bless you, but I want you to hear it correctly. I, I want to just use this as an example, okay? A an example, and we're going to, I'm just going to give a political example. What if... John McCain gets elected president. And let's just talk about it. We've got three people that we could have a bias against. I mean, he's kind of old. I mean, he's going to be the oldest president we ever had. He's had certain policies that certainly most of us wouldn't agree with. He's done things that we don't like. What if he gets elected president? Will you still pray for him? Will you still pray for that office and ask for God's blessing upon our nation that God would use him? What if Barack Obama gets elected president? Will you still pray for him, as the Bible commands us to do, to pray for our leaders, pray for our nation? What if Hillary Clinton gets elected as president of the United States? Will you pray for her? Pray that God will use her. Pray that God will bless her and lead our nation. Hmm. You know, for some of us, we'll say... I don't have any bias, but when I said one of those names, you go, hmm, I'm not praying for them. What do you mean, pray for them? Pray God to use them. Pray God bless. I'm praying that. No, you're not prejudiced or biased at all, <laughs> are you? No, you want, no, I want what's right. Sure you do. You want what's right for you. Hey, I'm all for righteousness. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that that's no different than the situation Jonah was in. We're not that much different at the end of the day. The question is, or do we trust God? Regardless of who gets... Can I tell you this? I don't care who gets elected. We're going to need to pray more. 
I don't care. Okay? We're going to need to pray more. And could it be that God will use us to really get us on our face to seek Him and to seek His heart? Could it be that revival comes when we feel like, what in the world is going on here? Could it be that God will use that as an instrument? I don't know. I know that we don't like that. But at the end of the day, it says more about us than it does about Him. It exposes the real truth of our hearts. What about you this morning? Have you come to the place to where you've really trusted Him and given your life? Have you come to the place that when things aren't fair and judgment's not exercised, life doesn't go your way and God doesn't perform like you want, you still trust Him? You can still call Him Lord?